0: Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Hello and welcome to our Wednesday night service, the Wednesday before Easter. During this Holy Week, we're wrapping up Lent, and on the Wednesday before Easter, we have a time of celebration and a time of baptizing people who've been coming to Christ over the last several months, and we're excited about that. We're having some 24 to 8 people baptized. That's pretty cool. So we're excited about that. I'm glad that our, yes. Glad that our Point Campus is with us, as well as uh, Fox Valley, who just joined, and our own campus here, which apparently is very leaning to this side, because nobody's sitting over here. I'm not sure what that is about, but I'll point this way, and uh, and we'll wrap that up. Let's look at the scriptures tonight as a warm-up to our baptismal service and our celebration of faith. Um, we're going to look at the uh, eighth chapter of the book of Acts. Now you've got the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then all the epistles that come afterwards, and in the middle there is the book of Acts. What the Acts are, it means the Acts, A-C-T-S, of the Apostles. This was the start of the New Testament church. This is what happened after what we're going to celebrate, the Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus. Everything becomes clear. Oh my goodness, what an incredible thing we're having here. The Spirit of God is poured out in a way that had never been done before uh, in the history of mankind. We'll be talking more about that as we do our run-up to Pentecost Sunday, which is the celebration of that uh, initial event, Uh, and everything has changed, and these guys are going out preaching the gospel all over the place, and... uh, You know, we have a record of what they did in the very beginning. So we're going to start at the uh, chapter 8 into the book of Acts. Now, just before this, there was a fellow by the name of Stephen who was preaching, and the authorities were so angry at him, they came down on him, and they killed him. So this is the very first Christian martyr, St. Stephen is how they refer to him, uh, who was a, uh, the first Christian martyr. So we pick it up at uh, Acts chapter 8 after these guys had stoned Stephen to death. And the very first thing it says here is, and Saul approved of their killing him. Who is Saul? Saul is one of these major players at the time as a Pharisee, a religious leader. Saul is totally approving of the killing of Stephen and then takes charge of the persecution of Christians, which happens next. It says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So who is this horrible guy? Well, this is a guy who eventually becomes a Christian and changes his name from Saul to Paul. And goes on and single-handedly writes the bulk of the New Testament uh, by himself. Uh, So a major Christian leader. His impact is beyond comprehension, quite frankly. But he did not start out liking Christians. He was all for killing them and imprisoning them and making their lives absolutely as miserable as possible. And you know, and, drag- and throwing them into prison, you have to remember, we're not talking you know, local county lockups here. These prisons were horrific places 2,000 years ago. And throwing them into prison was a horrible thing to do to these men and these women. And for no other reason than they professed the name of Jesus. So, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now, it is often said that persecution was the first missionary (laughs) organization in the church. In other words, Jesus came and told them they were supposed to preach the gospel all over the world. Uh, They really weren't doing it. They were just hanging out in Jerusalem and enjoying that whole thing. Why not? Everybody's happy. This is cool. Thousands of people are becoming Christians. What fun. And then smack comes the persecution and they are scattered, running for their lives and their livelihoods. But as they go, they start preaching the word of God wherever they went. So now Philip, who is one of the first deacons, uh, went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, (laughs) impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So now we see this going beyond just the apostles, some who uh, speak against the idea of you know, miracles and stuff like that. Well, that was just for the apostles. Apparently not, because now Philip's doing it, and this goes on and on. Uh, the early church, one of the things that marked them greatly is the fact that they would pray and God would show up in dramatic ways and do things that would just fry everybody's mind. I mean, it was no one had ever heard of, much less seen anything like this. So it's one thing when Jesus was doing it, the apostles would do it, now it's beyond that, and they're going out spreading the gospel and just praying for people all over the place. Uh, and by the way, You know, sometimes we think, well, before God can do a miracle in my life, I have to be in a certain place. I have to be really super good or something like that. Uh, Don't think that way. A lot of these miracles were performed on people who did not believe in Jesus at all. They weren't particularly holy. They were a bunch of heathens. And God would come come up and pray for them, and all of a sudden, they would get healed. That's impressive, all right? Now, sometimes people think, you know, what kind of argument can I make for my friends or family to convince them to become Christians? You know, a lot of times it's really not about arguments at all. It's about God just showing up and making himself real to people. That's why I encourage people. You know, always look for an opportunity. Uh, if someone's having a hard time offer. you know, look, do you mind if I pray for you? you? Say, well, what happens if I pray for them? Well, that's up to God. <laughs> See what God will do. God loves to surprise people and show People who he is, so that's what they were doing, and the gospel was being spread everywhere. So he's hanging out in Samaria. All kinds of people are getting saved. Philip's praying for people. They're getting healed. People who are uh, possessed of demons, when they he'd set them free, they'd screech. It had to be really creepy. Uh, and I mean, they are seeing stuff like they had never seen before, and people are getting saved left and right. And the city, the Bible says, is filled with great joy so now uh, those who had been scattered I'm sorry where am I now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria he boasted that he was someone great and all the people both high and low gave him their attention and exclaimed "This, this man is rightly called the great power of God and they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So he's seeing all these conversions happening. And up to this point, he was the big boy on campus, big man on campus, he's doing supernatural things himself. And by the way, people can experience supernatural things Outside of Christ, apparently Satan himself has a degree of power. It's nothing compared to the power of Jesus, by any stretch of your imagination. But sorcery and all these kind of weird dark arts, which you should not be messing around with,? Oh, wait. No Ouija boards and palm reading, all that kind of stuff. You say, "Well, stuff can' happen. Yeah, stuff you're supposed to stay away from. All right? These are dark spirits. These are dark things you're opening up yourself to. who knows whatever. And you have to remember. The devil is very different than God. God will influence you, Satan will try to possess you and force you to do things you don't even want to do. You should stay away from these things. But you have to remember, even in the Old Testament, remember when Moses came and he started doing miracles? Initially, all the sorcerers duplicated the miracles. I mean, when uh, uh, Moses had a big staff that he walked around in, all the guys in those you know, staffs so as they're going to walk, well, he throws down a staff and it turns into a giant snake. <laughs> that would get my attention, right? Well, the sorcerers came along, threw down their staffs, and they turned into snakes as well. You say, how is that possible? I don't know. But they did. What was cool is Moses' snake ate the other snakes. He ate my snake. Talked about turning water into blood. The sorcerers did the same thing. You say, how is that possible? Look, I'm telling you. The power of Satan is very, very real, and it's very, very destructive. It is a fraction of the power of God that he has, and greater is he that is in you than any demons that are out there. And by the way, every once in a while, I have people say to me, you know, pastor, shouldn't I be worried about demons? This or, oh, I heard that, you know, you know, Two thousand years ago, someone on the spot was brutally murdered and his ghost is haunting everything. You know, what should I be afraid? You know, they're afraid of that stuff. The Bible says, Greater that is in he that is in you than he that is in the world. When the devil runs into a true Christian who is filled with the Spirit of God, you know who's freaked out? The devil. <laughs> Those demons don't like it and they scatter. Uh, we have great power when we're walking with Christ. But uh, there is some real stuff there. Don't get sucked into that stuff. So anyway, Simon, this is his deal. He's a sorcerer. People are getting saved left and right, and they're professing Jesus. And then Simon himself came to faith. And you're talking about this God who would forgive sins and stuff like that. These people had never heard anything like this. And he goes, that's awesome. So he's believed, and he gets baptized, which is what we're going to be doing tonight. Because throughout the New Testament, it was becoming a person by faith, believing in Christ, and then followed by baptism. It wasn't baptism first, and then later deciding to become a Christian, which we'll talk more about it a little bit later. we we'll get to that. But anyway, so that was it. You, you became a Christian, and you became baptized. And uh, then he followed Philip everywhere because he's astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw because Philip is doing stuff that big boy Simon could never do. So, Simon, this guy trained in the dark arts, who had everybody whoo, under a spell, sees this just Christian guy come along, do, 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 and he's doing stuff way bigger than Simon could ever pull off. So, Simon's watching this, going, man, this, this is amazing. He is astonished, the Bible says, about the great signs and miracles. So now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, people were becoming Christians, uh, this wasn't a real big stretch for them. In the beginning, all believers were Jewish. They They did not believe you could even be a Christian if you weren't Jewish first. This is the major thing that everybody argued about in the New Testament. You'll see it later in the book of Acts. And you're reading the epistles, they're arguing about circumcision. so, like, well, you know, what's all this? What they're talking about is becoming Jewish. They believe, many of them believe, you have to become Jewish before you become a Christian. And they had major arguments about this. Uh, you know, Paul, if, if you ever read the, uh, the book of the Epistle of Galatians, the whole thing of him, him arguing with these people that you don't have to do this, that you can be a Christian by faith. And they eventually put this to rest, thank God, because we don't have to deal with that stuff today. But it was a big deal back then. But the Samaritans were kind of Jewish. They were kind of like lousy Jews. <laughs> it is what it is, you know. They had the real pure Jews, and then you had the half-breed Samaritans, you know, you know like the crazy cousin that you know, and I kind of said, you're related to him, you don't want anybody to know it, but he's related to you, that sort of thing. And so when the Samaritans started getting saved, Well, they celebrated that because they're crazy cousins, right? I mean, you know, at least they're kind of Jewish, so that would work, and and they're getting saved. So um, uh, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard this was happening, then they sent Peter and John to Samaria. Go down there, check out these guys, see what's happening. Now, when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit, Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now this is something that we were going to talk about as we run up to Pentecost. About this experience of being filled, or as Jesus referred to, being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And many have debated this, especially major denominations that don't like the charismatic expression... You have all kinds of explanations on why that's not true and uh, when you get saved, you receive the Spirit of God and that's what it's talking about and yeah, I don't think so. Obviously, you must receive a measure of the Spirit when you get saved but you'd have to be blind not to see, as we just read, there was two separate, distinct experiences that they had. Actually, three, if you think about it. First of all, they got saved, then they got baptized in water and then someone would come and lay hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, we're going to be getting into that and in the run-up to this. And on a Pentecost Sunday, I don't know, what's the date on that? Do you even know? I don't even know. How do you know that? May 24th. I'm an ignorant and unlearned man. But anyway, May 24th, so that's going to be are you, 23rd. You You're wrong. You know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> of course, everybody knew it was May 23rd. Uh, so we come up to that, uh, Bishop Sean, uh, who was with us last year, just before the whole pandemic thing went crazy, uh, for our, our uh, Ash Wednesday service, is going to be coming and teaching that Sunday morning. And that Sunday night, we are going to have a Holy Spirit Ephesus night, where Bishop Sean is going to lay hands and pray for people who want to, be re- to receive me baptized in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Like when you're baptized in water, you are covered in water. This is an experience where you're just covered in the Spirit of God. And it's a wonderful thing. Again, we'll be talking a lot more about it. But anyway, you can see here that it is a different thing, all right? Um, they, they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They'd already believed, so that blows that argument out. Uh, and they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Some say, well, it happens when you're baptized. Apparently still not. So... Uh, Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now up to, so, well, let me keep going here. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of hands, of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. So that is so cool. He said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. So he's basically, he's so impressed by this. Why is he impressed? Something happens. What happens? This again is one of the big debates. Still argued in many churches, not as many as it used to be when I was growing up back in the 1800s. But it's still you know big argument about what happens. Well, up to this point, almost every single time I believe for every single time someone received the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues. That's the. Heavy argument that Pentecostals and Charismatics have on their side. People can argue about it all day long, but at the end of the day, every time it happened, they spoke in tongues. Now here it doesn't say they spoke in tongues. It's the first time, I think, where it doesn't mention specifically tongues. But something happened. We would assume, in the context, they spoke in tongues. They were seeing this and thought, this is really cool. And Simon offered him some fat stacks and said, here, man, give me this power so I can do this too. And Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness, and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart, for I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Well, this freaks Simon out. I mean, at this point, Simon actually became a believer. Uh, He's highly esteeming these apostles that have come now. And when Peter turns around and basically pronounces this major curse on him, he freaks. And Simon said, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said will happen to me. Please. You know, I don't want this to happen to me. He's basically repenting. Uh, After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. So we see that the gospel is preached throughout the New Testament uh, or through the book of Acts. They would believe, they would be baptized, and they would receive the Holy Spirit. Again, some amount of debate on what exactly that means, especially from those who don't like the idea of speaking in tongues. But at a minimum, they would have to argue that's pretty much what happened here. Now, does it does not have to happen every time? I don't think most people would, today would argue that necessarily, but it is a unique, special experience. If you've never had someone lay their hands on you in faith and ask and open up your help, heart to receive the Holy Spirit, you need to be here that Pentecost Sunday, which is May 23rd. May 23rd. I knew it was there, okay? Because uh, you want this. I mean, it's going to empower. It's like, what is it like? It's like driving a moped or a big fat Harley. Big fat Harleys are a lot cooler than mopeds. They'll both get you around, but the Harley's a lot more fun and I guess they they're a lot faster and it's got a lot of power and it sounds cool I mean who doesn't love the Harley all the racket they make it just makes you feel like a man even if you're a girly man you feel like a man when you're not a Harley that's what the Holy Spirit does you get all of a sudden your life turns from to and I like the better than the but if you want a that's okay we still love you all right, it's your call. But remember, May, May 23rd. <laughs> so Pastor, you have a short memory. You have no idea. All right, so now, so Philip's there. He starts this all going. We see this big thing with Simon. Uh, the apostles come down. It's, it's a big deal. And then, uh, then it picks up now after Peter and John who went back to Jerusalem. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip. I don't know if it's a vision, I don't know what it is, but these guys are experiencing supernatural things at an accelerated rate, much more than we are today, sad to say. But this angel says, listen, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And an angel tells you, you do what the angel says, right? So He started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, What is a eunuch? A eunuch is a man who's had his testicles cut off. Now you think, why would anybody do that? Because it was actually a shortcut to an incredible life. Because if you would be willing to be a eunuch, you would often be highly educated, uh, hold positions of power, or at a minimum, the wealthiest people in the world would hire you to take care of their families. And why would they hire a eunuch? Because a eunuch can't do nothing about all the ladies he's protecting. <laughs> There's no sexual energy at all. Once the boys are cut off, that's it, all right? It's like the cat has been neutered, it's all over with. So these guys were, there was, people. I mean, and again, we're talking 2,000, thousands of these eunuchs were around for thousands and thousands of years. These were guys who decided, either as children, their parents would decide for them, or as young men, they would decide, look, life was horrible back then. People lived in abject poverty like you cannot believe. They scraped every day to make a living. And then guys would see, hey, if you would do this, you are always well fed, you are always well protected, you have money, you have everything, you just never get the girl. Even with that incentive. Most men would not want to become eunuchs. We live, we love what we have, all right? So, but some guys would cough it up and they would get these jobs. In fact, look what it says here. It says, uh, he meets this Ethiopian eunuch. Who's he? An important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandikei, which means queen of the Ethiopians. He controls all the money. Again, highly educated, greatly empowered, probably ridiculously wealthy, because these guys would like these men who are not motivated to assault their wives or daughters or whatever else like that. So they got all these great positions. So this is this guy. He's, uh, he's sitting in this chariot. Let's see, this man had gone down to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot. There's the chariot. And he's reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. And he's reading it out loud. So he's sitting in this chariot he just came back from Jerusalem. It says he went to worship and he's an Ethiopian. I mean, I don't quite get exactly all that's going on. Uh, you know, uh, Judaism, actually, even to this day, there are groups of black Africans in Africa who consider themselves Jewish. Uh, apparently, this group of people uh, had decided to become Jewish. Who knows when they did it? But this day, and even to this day, the, these groups are still there. And uh, it's not about color. Because they're obviously very black versus, you know, African black versus, you know, typical Jewish person. But they consider themselves Jews. And they were accepted as Jews. Somewhere along the line, this happened. I'm sure someone really smart knows the answer to this. I just want to get through the sermon. All right? So, you can look it up on your own if you want to find out what that's all about. So, anyway, he's part of this. He comes, he worships God, he's in Jerusalem, and he's reading out loud. Uh, I guess I just pulled over. Stop, I don't know. Don't have to get gas. Maybe they had to feed a horse. I don't know. So he's sitting there. He's reading. So the spirit tells Philip. So he feels in the spirit of God. He says, hey, go to that chariot and just stand near it. So first of all, an angel tells him to go down that way. Doesn't tell him why. You would think the angel would say, hey, look, go on this road. You're going to read this guy who's this big, powerful guy in Ethiopia. And you're going to hear him reading the Bible and then tell him what it means. But they don't tell him. Oftentimes, the Lord doesn't give you all the answers up front. How many have experienced that in your life? I mean, lots of, you know, it's, it's faith. It's just faith. We don't have the answers. He said, Go. So he went. Now the Spirit of God says, Hey, go stand over there. So he goes and stands over there. Uh, so Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And Philip asked him, uh, Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. By the way, you see how Philip has one L? This is who I named my son Philip after. But I put two L's in his name. So to this day, he knows he is a typo. Uh, So, just confessing my sin here. I don't know why I did that, but I... Oh, Phil, I spell it, P-H-I-L-L-I-P. So, (laughs) that's on his birth certificate. I'm a moron. Okay, so, he runs up to the chariot, and uh, he says, uh, um, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch says, well, how can I, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. I would say it's a pretty good-sized chariot. I mean, I thought chariots were like little things. I'd rather got seats, and everybody's up there chilling out. And he comes up and sits with him. And this is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who could speak of his descendants for his life is taken from the earth? So uh, Philip is reading this portion of Isaiah that's, and there's lots of prophecies, uh, messianic prophecies in Isaiah where in bits and pieces he would start prophesying about Jesus who was to come. And at this point in the mess- messianic prophecy, he's talking about this guy who uh, is going to uh, his life is going to be cut short. He was going to be led to the sheep like a slaughter, like a, like a lamb before its shearer is silent. Which, by the way, you know they don't make any noise. Anyone know that? You know, you can cut a lamb's throat and it just, that's very quietly. I'd be screaming bloody murder. But uh, sh- lambs are very quiet. And, uh, and it's a prophecy of Jesus because Jesus was like that, right? They take him to the cross and he says nothing. Very quiet, he doesn't lash out, he's not screaming, yelling, fighting back. And uh, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself or someone else? Well, then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now, there's great analogies here. Sometimes you want to find things that people, where they're already at, and take where they're at to bring them to the gospel. Uh, and throughout the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, you'll see all kinds of different ways that these guys would approach telling people about Jesus. Uh, pagans who knew nothing about stuff, uh, very devout Jews who knew everything in the Old Testament, or this guy, he's somewhere in between, but he's reading this. Well, let me tell you what he's talking about. So then, at that point, Philip uh, takes that passage and told him the good news about Jesus. So, they fire up the chariot, and they traveled along the road, and they came to some water, And the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? So already by this point, he had gotten the concept of baptism. So Philip had taken enough time to explain who Jesus was, what it meant to be a believer, what it meant to be saved, and that one of the first things you do after you've made a decision, I'm going to follow Christ, is to be baptized, which is what we're going to be doing tonight. All right? So he says, can I be baptized? So he gave orders to stop the chariot, and then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. (laughs) The coolest part here is when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, (laughs) and the eunuch didn't see him again. Boy, that would freak you out, right? I doubt that'll happen tonight. But uh, (laughs) somebody baptizes you and (laughs) he disappears, that would be impressive. So, uh, but you uh, can see him, he just went on his way rejoicing. Woo-hoo, all right? And obviously, this again, this is how the gospel gets preached all over the world. This Ethiopian unit goes back into Ethiopia and he starts sharing what? What he experienced, what he learned about Jesus and it just kept spreading, spreading. The more you can talk about your faith, the more, and again, it's not about shoving stuff in people's faces, but the more you talk about it, the more it spreads, the more lives get touched and transformed. So uh, anyway, then Philip, however, appeared at Azotus. I, was, he just, I don't know what that was like. He's one place he appears somewhere else. And, uh, uh, and he traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. There we go. That's the end of the chapter. So now tonight what we're going to do is we're going to follow in these people's footsteps on what Jesus told us to do, which is to believe and to be baptized in water. Now early Christians, when they first started doing this, these, you see, this is just on the fly happening. This guy didn't know all that much about Jesus, other than what, however long Philip was talking to him. It had to be a few hours, I would think, at least. But not really a lot of depth. So, a lot of people are coming to Jesus. Uh, the sorcerer, right? He, he, ah, this is cool. Yeah. And, and he, he believes in Jesus and he gets baptized. I don't know if they really understand what they're doing. So, this is happening on a huge scale in the early days of the early church. Uh, and then, about 100, 200 years in, they decide, you know, we probably should really make sure these people know what they're doing and what they're buying into. And they created the very thing we recite to this day, the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed was developed for baptismal candidates. They had to memorize this creed, and they would say this creed before they were baptized. They wanted to get the basics of the faith into their hearts and minds. And of course, then it took on and churches have been reciting this, Christians have been reciting this this creed for uh, the last 2,000 years. So in that tradition, I'm going to invite all the people who are going to be baptized to come up front, you guys in Stevens Point, do the same, come up to the front and Fox Valley, come up to the front and we're going to recite together with you the Apostles' Creed. Now, On Sunday morning, we always put we believe in God the Father. For tonight, we're going to go back to the original because it was an individual thing where it'll be changing we to I. All right? So this is a proclamation of your faith. You are reciting what it is that we believe. This is what we're doing. This is what this is all about. You guys can slide that a little bit more. (laughs) All right, cool. Uh, And then I'm going to pray with you and then uh, I'll release the campuses and and, uh, we can go into our baptismal service. So, Let's together pop the words up on the screen and let's say this together as our profession of faith. Actually, all y'all can stand up as we do this. All right? Out of respect for what's happening, here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, my Lord, who for me and for my salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your kindness and grace that you've shown to us through the sacrifice of your son Jesus on the cross, that through his death, burial, and resurrection, we too have resurrection and new life, forgiveness of sins. Tonight, as these brothers and sisters move forward in faith following the example that you taught, taught us to follow of being baptized, that you would be present with your, uh, the power of your Holy Spirit, that God, this would be very meaningful experience tonight as this sacrament, the sacred thing, this holy thing takes place in each one of their hearts. And for this, we are very grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Okay.